The following podcast is brought to you by Marks with Mics. I have no problem calling people Marks. No, no, he's thinking, don't tell me! Mark. Don't tell me! Mamma mia! Mamma mia! Are you kidding me? Mark is. Welcome to the Marks with Mike's podcast. Here are your hosts, Mr. Six Foot Nine, the homeboy, Doug Douglas, and Dre, the Juice Man. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to edition of Marks with Mike's. As promised at the top of the show, I did tell you that I had a special interview today for you guys. Right now, I'm on location out here in Connecticut with RSW for their show, Monsters of the Midway, right here at the Ledyard County Fair. And like I told you at the top of the show, I was going to get one of these guys one of the handsome devils. I had to at least get one, and I got no other than Cyrus Deville on the show. How's it going? Yo, yo, what's going on? How you doing? How you living? Oh man, I'm living real good, man. And talk about the travel here, Jesus. Let me tell you how we got to this point. First of all, I literally woke up at 6 a.m. Went to work Friday. Got off at 4 p.m. Help my mother-in-law move some stuff into my house since she's now moving in. And then went to record the podcast episode from episode number 81 with, of course, none other than shit, Charlie Cruel. Then once I got done recording the podcast, man, I hopped on the road. And at this time, it's like 1130, hopped on the road, drove all the way straight Besides stopping for gas, that's the only time I stopped. I stopped in New York. Oh, Jesus God. Christ, the gas prices. Where in New York? Uh, I think I stopped a little bit out of Staten Island. Oh, that's where I'm from. Phenomenal. Get, get out of here. So I stopped in Staten Island, and the gas price is $3.46 per gallon. I go up to the, to the, uh, to the gas attendant. Give them the money, and I'm thinking that uh, this was actually going to do something. So I said 35 on pump number four. He goes, no, move up to the next one. It's cheaper. In my mind, I'm like, how is the next pump cheaper than the first pump? And, I, you know, I saved 30 cents, but whatever. There you go. Got in here, got into my Airbnb, took a nap, got to see you wrestle, and now we are here to tell your story. So first of all, man, let's start from the beginning. How did you get into professional wrestling? You want to know like how I got became a fan, or how do I get into the business? Well, uh, that, that, I tell you what. Let's start off with your love for it as a fan. Right. What led you to it? Um, I don't have like um. All right, so I can't remember the first time like like wrestling's been a part of my life since I can remember. Since the day I could like remember, I've been a fan of wrestling. My first memory of wrestling, though, that I can remember is Lex Luger slamming uh, Yokozuna on the U.S. Intrepid. For some reason, that sticks out of my mind. I don't know if I watched it, like, after the fact, and that's just something I remember, but I remember that. And I also remember uh, being really stoked when The Undertaker came back to defeat The Undertaker at SummerSlam. And uh, I remember that. And, like, it's just been, you know, ever since, really. I think I stopped watching for a, 
a couple month period maybe in like 2002 because like you know I'm like 12 years old and I'm like oh I'm too cool for wrestling and then it just hooked me right back in when Shawn Michaels came back so it's like I don't know man it's been and I can't pinpoint one specific moment where it's like that was it but but uh, I was telling uh, Dove actually earlier like my favorite match of all time is uh, Bret and Austin at Wrestlemania 13 that uh, submission match um to me, that encompasses everything that professional wrestling should be. It had a good story, had good action, and it's—it's. It's, I'm a sucker for matches that make guys stars, and you know, if Austin wasn't already a star at that point, that solidified it. And I'm always gonna be like a sucker for that kind of stuff. Like, even what was it uh, a couple weeks ago? Buddy Murphy wrestled Roman Reigns on SmackDown. Beautiful match. That was a very good match. And if nobody knew who Buddy Murphy was before that, now they do. And I'm always going to gravitate towards that kind of stuff for numerous reasons. just cool to see a new guy made, but it's like when you, when you get that, like that's what wrestling is to me. Like, you know, it's storytelling and it's, it's feel-good stuff, you know what I mean? And it's, I don't know, I love wrestling. I just love wrestling. Now, you talked about loving it as a kid. You got to middle school. It was kind of like a closeted thing. Like, you know, you, did you have a couple friends that were into it? Or was it like, uh, I, I got to keep this to myself. No one must know. All my friends, that, oh, not all of them. I shouldn't say all of them. But my closer friends loves wrestling, too. And we've all, like, to this day, we talk about it. Like, you know what I mean? And it's like, it's just something that we all like that's one of the first reasons like my best friend in the world I've known him since the first grade one of the things that we bonded over initially was professional wrestling you know what I mean so you know and then I'm you know he brought his toys to my house and I went to his house met his brothers and they all like wrestling and it's just you know and they, I've, you know so it's wrestling has brought me some really close friendships even to this day I have uh, some close friends that I've met over the years and you know we get together for the pay-per-views every month not even really watch the pay-per-view you know, that's like the background, but we're hanging out. We're, you know, we, we got really close because of our love for professional wrestling. So wrestling has been, is like almost like uh, at every aspect of my life I could look back. You know what I mean? And it's like wrestling is involved somehow. Yeah, man, I, I could definitely relate to you. I mean, I, I just remember growing up, of course, I, I had my friends, but more so um, my family as well. Like, I, I can remember growing up. And uh, originally, of course, I say this every show and just the drilling in my listeners head. I'm a Florida boy, born and raised uh, Boynton Beach, Florida. Uh, of course, it's less than an hour away from Miami, Fort Lauderdale area. But, you know, growing up there uh, with, with my family, my cousins, uh, you know, and the neighborhoods that, that I grew up in, uh, my my cousin Pooh, I'll never forget it. Uh, he, he was a wrestling fan up until a point that he saw Eddie Guerrero get get hit on WCW. He's like, he's really complaining about getting hit. Oh man, this stuff's not real at all. And then it was like, dude, don't blow my eye. But uh, you know, then then I, I can remember stay, staying in Seminole Circle, uh, you know, and then I remember you know friends like uh, Bobby Phillips. Uh, shout out to Bobby. Uh, Bobby having all all the the action figures, the 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 wrestling ring sets. Like I, I remember, uh, I think Bobby bought the WWE Volume or was it Volume Three, Volume Four CD, and we all took time uh, turns doing doing entrances. And I remember, remember he did Stone Cold, and uh, you know, just CD. yeah, man. Look, I remember, I remember buying these CDs and like secretly listening to them. Yeah. You know, you know, and uh, it's not the cool thing to do. I mean, you know, back then, you know, 
we had CD players for all the millennials listening. Uh, that we had uh, CD players. The top brand back then was the Walkman. If you didn't have the Walkman, then you know your CD player was trash. It was it was just trash. Uh, what, what was the special gimmick about that? Less skips inside inside the CD player. But man, I, I can just remember that. Like growing up playing wrestling. Now, did you ever wrestle any of your siblings and accidentally hurt them? Um, I have three older sisters, so no, I never wrestled them. You never wrestled your sister? No, they, they you know, they're all a little bit, you know, significantly older than me, but uh, I have, like, friends, like, close friends, like I was just explaining to you, uh, my friend that I met in the first grade, like, they're, like, family to me, like, his, him and his family, they took me, you know what I mean, they're, like, brothers to me, so I wrestled with them, and we used to beat the hell out of each other. I remember my buddy, <laughs> who was a little small, you know, he was on the small side, and he used to, uh, his go-to move, his favorite wrestler was Chris Jericho, so his go-to, go-to move is the Walls of Jericho, but not, like, the Walls of Jericho you'd see in WWE. The one you used to see in WCW when oh, you dig the knee into the, the back. The lion tamer. Yeah, the lion tamer when he was doing it to all the cruiserweights. And he used to do it like that. And that hurt so bad. Like, that's like an automatic tap. I don't care who you are. Like, you get locked in that thing. That thing hurts. It, it, it definitely hurts. I mean, my sister can definitely testify because <laughs> I put her inside the lion tamer. Uh, I, I love my sister to death, uh, honestly. But I think she's a tougher woman because I did these moves to her. <laughs> I used to beat up my little nephew, my little cousins. They're all like, you know, you know, like 10 years younger than me. And when they were little, little, like they used to want to wrestle. So I used to like toss them around the living room like, a little bit. But. But, yeah, that used to be a lot of fun. But, you know, yeah, it was just wrestling with my friends and just, uh, you know, we used to do, like, I wouldn't say, like, you know, real, but, like, you know, there was no, uh, like, we would just line up on each side of the living room and, like, do Survivor Series type stuff, like, five on five. But, like, the thing was, like, people were really getting put in submission holds. Like, there, there was no, like, working it. Like, you got put in a crippler crossface, like, you were getting it wrenched and it was going to hurt real bad. So, like, that's kind of stuff we used to do. That was a lot of fun. Now... Of course, we talked about middle school. Now, going into high school, were you into any athletics? Like, what what was your niche in high school? In high school, my niche was uh, leaving. <laughs> uh, I hate to say that, but uh, no, I didn't really play. I, I wanted to play baseball because I love baseball, but I didn't get into baseball until I was like 10 or 11. So I never played Little League. I never did any kind of fundamental training for it. So when I got on the field playing against some of these people, like, you know, they were like, you know, doing stuff I had never seen before. Because, like, I had never played. So, you know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't stick to that. And it, what eventually started happening, I was going to try out for the wrestling team in my sophomore year because they just made one. And then, uh, you know, other things took priority in my life. Um, and I gravitated more towards, like, hey, I don't want to go to school. So I'll go for third period, get my attendance taken, so they don't call my house, and then I'm leaving. <laughs> and I used to do things like that. You know, I wasn't a, I wasn't a bad kid, but I definitely wasn't doing what I should be doing. And... and you know, I would like leave school and uh, or sometimes I just wouldn't go. You know what I mean? So I never even if I would have gotten onto a team, I wouldn't have lasted very long because my grades would have been so bad because I wasn't going. Man, I can definitely uh, relate to that, man. Just high school for me. I play I played a little bit of sports. Uh, my attendance wasn't all that. My grades weren't all that. I had a chance to stay back a year and go to Pinecrest. This is like this private school in, uh, I think, in Margate, Margate or Fort Lauderdale. I can't remember right now. But I had a chance to go there, stay for a year, stay on campus. I mean, this 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 school looked like a, a legit junior. I'm not even going to say a junior college, but it looked like a Ivy League 
type of a school. More official than where you were. Oh yeah, man. Like they they showed me the pool. The pool's on top. <laughs> the pool's on top That's of the uh, school, roof. But but not, it's the location of the pool. It's on top of the roof. Oh Jesus! On top of the roof, that everyone's getting laptops and everything, and not just any laptops. No, these were Macs. These were Mac laptops. And for a kid in 2005, uh, basically a senior, but getting ready to stay back, I looked at all that and everything they had to offer me, and I was like, mm, no, nah, I'm good. So I ended up uh, doing private school. I graduated uh, less than four months. But school, I mean, school's definitely tough. Uh, it was definitely tough when I was going. I'm not sure about the kids today. You guys have a lot more than what we have uh, going on. I mean, gosh, you guys literally have. tablets now. Yeah, they, they get tablets when they go to school. Yeah, that's some wild stuff. I mean, the, the only thing we got were field trips to the zoo and, and stuff like that. But these kids got it good. They got they, I mean, as far as I know, they, yeah. I mean, I was talking to my, my, uh, my girlfriend's nephew the other day. His first, first day of high school. He's telling me, he's like, yeah, I asked him how it was. I had to pick him up. I asked him how it was. He's like, yeah, I think I'm going to try to change my classes so I can be with my friends. And I'm like, that's ah, probably not a good idea. Nah. Not I told him, I was like, I ended, I graduated. It took me five years because, again, I didn't go. But I didn't go to high school with all my friends. I went to a, I went to a vocational school. Mm-hmm. So my fifth year of high school was more like a, what they call it is YABC, which is basically for people that like are right on the cusp of graduating. Mm-hmm. But aren't going to graduate on time so you go to like a night school it's actually a cool little deal yeah. so i finished that way but if i went to school with my friends there's no way i would have graduated oh no not at all because none of my friend none of my friends graduated except for i have one friend that graduated high school and he was the one that didn't really hang out with us like it was my my, my buddies you know he just didn't hang out with us like he had his own group of friends like that you know Oh yeah, every everyone has friends like that. You have your group, your key group, and then right. some guy in your group has another group. But you have a friend that's at school that always hangs out with you, but you never see him outside of school. Right. Well, that, I had a couple of those friends in my school that I went to. Like you know, I loved them to death, and I, hang, I talked to them every day. But like once we left school, that was it. I was going to hang out with the people I grew up with. So, but yeah, in a high school, uh, high school is interesting. Now I can go back now. I he, I understand what like all the older folk used to say, like. You know you're gonna you know you're gonna regret this you're gonna regret this and not that i regret it because i try not to regret anything because everything has turned me into who i am today and who i am today i'm kind of proud of but if you know you could go back it's like all right maybe i wish i would have focused a little more on that because i'm not an idiot i did well when i actually tried and my problem was i didn't try and i didn't go so who knows i be mean, I, I i agree with that i mean we we hear the uh, older folks always say uh, you know, take take advantage of this. Trust me, you should do this. I wish I had this opportunity. And then, of course, us being young, we know everything. Right. We're smelling ourselves. We don't listen. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely appreciate every little golden nugget that was given to me. I mean, some advice I took, some I didn't. But, you know, hey, it's never too late to, to get your, your education. I mean, here I am, 32 uh, getting ready to have my bachelor's degree uh, ba- uh, next year, uh, July. So it's like you know you're you're, you're never too late. But no, uh, I mean I'm gonna be thirty in November. But I uh, I, I want to go back to school eventually. But I also don't even know what I'd go for at this point. You know what I mean? It's just also I have outstanding student loans that right. I have yet to pay off, and I can't go because I went into default with it, like with the loans. I can't go until those are paid off. And I went into default for a little little tidbit of my personal life. And this is kind of funny, but also kind of not. I didn't start paying them off because I didn't think I'd live long enough for it to catch up to me. That's the kind of life I was living prior to, to you know, how I am now. Is I never thought, like, I'd live long enough for this stuff to catch up to me. So I didn't care. I neglected it. I get out of here. Letter in the mail. Throw it out. 
you know what I mean? So now, you know, joke's on me because here I am and now this stuff is coming back. But, you know, maybe eventually one day I could uh, correct that and, you know, go to school for something. Hey, man, stars are the sky's the limit when it comes to that. I mean, there's nothing I, I, there's no limitations that you have in life than other limitations that you put on yourself. That's that's just the way that, you know, I'm, I'm starting to see things at a broad, broad perspective. Now, uh, leaving high school, you graduate. Now, let's let let's get into a, a little a little bit of uh, a little bit of your life after high school. So, um we're going to the point where you just told us that the life that you were living, you, uh, you know, you, you didn't expect to, to make it into your thirties. No, so let's, let's go into that. And then, then we'll, we'll go into what made you have the current life that you have now. All right. So, uh, when I got out of high school, towards the end of my high school days, uh, my, uh, I started really doing stuff I shouldn't do as far as drugs and alcohol, you know, and that started in high school, but, you know, it wasn't bad, bad, you know what I mean? It was one of those things where, like, what 16-year-old isn't drinking on the weekends with their friends, right? But I took it a step further, and I was like, you know, when I was 17, I started taking pills. Or 16, I started taking one of those. And um, by the skin of my teeth, I made it out of high school, like I said. And I really didn't do anything with my life for about, I made it out when I was 18, so... The next four years was just a roller coaster of, you know, drugs, alcohol, um, bad decisions. Um, you know, I've been arrested a few times for drugs, well, mainly weed, but, you know, regardless. Um, you know, just making bad decisions. And, and I wouldn't say hanging out with the wrong people because, like, I can't put that on anybody. You know, I made the choice to hang around people doing what they were doing, and I knew what they were doing. That's why I was hanging out with them. And some of the people I was hanging out with are still some of my best friends to this day. You know, I just chose to, you know, seek something else. And, um, you know, so that I literally, after I left high school, until I got clean, I did nothing with my life. Like, I was, you know, found little, you know, I was working at ShopRite, I was working at Hess somewhere, you know what I mean? But, like, there was no life progression whatsoever, you know what I mean? It was more of like a revolving merry-go-round of just, you know, nonsense, I guess you could say, just... Again, like I said, bad decision after bad decision. It seemed like for a stretch of my life, there was not one good decision that was made coming from me. And, um, you know, it just brings down the rabbit hole into some really bad, dark places, you know, especially mentally, you know, um, where it's, you know, it's not exactly a pleasurable experience to live with between your ears when you're living like that. Mm. Now, what was your saving grace? Um, I just had a moment. All right. So, like I said, I was 22 when I got clean and, um, by this point, I kind of just accepted that for however longer I was going to live, this was the way I was going to be. And, um, you know, I just accepted I'm going to be this dire drug addict, alcoholic, and, and just whatever. And uh, I got into some trouble, you know, and my sister wanted to help me. Like, because mind you, I had a problem for a while. They knew. I ended up, you know, getting in trouble, getting sent to rehab after rehab and got my act together a little bit. And then it started to come back and, you know, I thought nobody knew, but I told, I ended up just ponying up to my sister one day. I was like, I got a problem again. And she's like, oh, I know. And maybe like a month after that, you know, they had enough and, you know, my sister texts me and she's like, all right, I don't want you around my son. I don't, I don't want you around the house. I want you nowhere near us right now until you decide to get help. And, uh, my, my nephew at the time was three and, uh, he was probably the only thing that actually made me happy is like just seeing him. 
And I wasn't even really mad about not seeing them anymore. It was just more like, I get it, but it was still like sad. Like a day later, she calls me. She's like, hey, do you want to go to detox? And I just answered. I just said yes. There was no thought process. I don't know why I said yes. I don't, I, I didn't, really, I wasn't really thinking about it before that. But I, in that moment, I knew I had to get my shit together. Like it just had to, I had to, uh, if I wanted to live a sustained life, if I wanted to live a happy life, I had to change what I was doing. And I ended up going to that detox and came out and I just, you know, got into the recovery world. And, um, and it was explained to me that, you know, in order for me to, to live a happy life for the nine, you know, for most people that, you know, have an issue, you have to practice complete abstinence. And that's not all. You have to change your thinking. You have to change the way you, you know, your life. You know, it's not as simple as like, hey, let me just stop doing drugs. Because if it was that simple, I would have did it a long time ago. You know what I mean? It's not as simple as like, hey, I'm not going to go drink because if it was that simple, I would have did it a long time ago. Because leading up to that, I didn't want to live like that anymore. I just didn't know how not to. So, you know, I got clean and I got showed a whole new life. And, you know, I was talking actually with uh, Orion Dove about this earlier too, you know, about accountability. I try to be accountable for everything nowadays. I try not to put it on anybody else. If I don't succeed at something, that's my fault. I try not to, and don't get me wrong, I'm a human and it's hard not to be like, oh, well, if that would have went right, if this would have went right, I'd be there. And that may or may not be true, but at the end of the day, I'm not there. And that's on me. So uh, a lot of it's accountability and just self-awareness and, you know, you know, correcting the wrongs you've done in your life, you know, and even if it was five minutes ago, you know, if I offended somebody like to the point where like, you know, there's an issue, I like to go up to that person and be like, hey, I'm sorry for what I, my part in this, even if they were wrong too, they, they could have their own part in it, but that's not my job. My job is to hold myself accountable. And, you know, that's part of what keeps me sober and keeps me clean is, is, you know, deep dive into drug addiction. A lot of it's mental. And a lot of it's, you know, holding yourself, you know, put your, you know what I mean? It's just, it's a really warped thinking. And a lot of it's like self-esteem issues. They, you know, I hear the joke. It's like, you know, we're, we're like, you know, egomaniacs with an inferiority complex. You know, we're like, I'm the best thing ever, but I'm not at the same time. Mm. You know what I mean? And it's like a really weird thing, but it's a lot of truth. To, like, that's kind of how the drug addict's brain operates. And, you know, it's hard to, once you get yourself into that, it's hard not to, to just be that person and you're stuck and it's, it's just a whole bad thing and um you know so i had to like you know accept that and you know accept that this is who i am like i can't go and have a beer safely you know i can't go and you know smoke a joint and you know you know not expect to, you know i'm probably gonna end up taking pills or something again so i just stay away from all that you know and it's it led me to professional wrestling if it wasn't for that i would not be here today you know, whether I'd be alive or not, I don't know. Who knows? I'd it'd be miserable. I know that. But I don't know if I'd be wrestling or not. So now I definitely like the fact that you said accountability. You have to be able to be accountable for it, for the things that, that you do. I mean, you know, it's you can't put the blame on every everyone else. Sometimes you have to look in the mirror and say, hey, this is my shit. Right. And I have to I have to go ahead and definitely deal deal with said shit. Uh, you know, I'm only human after all, you know, rag and bone. Perfect song. I love it. Uh, but you talking about you talked about what got you into professional wrestling far as a fan. Now, let's talk about your background in training. All right. So this is a funny story. I was telling uh, telling some guys yesterday. Uh, I kind of fell into it, right? So, you know, I'm two years clean now, and I'm really starting to, like, like, all right, what if? Like, I didn't want to be 50 years old, look back on my life, and say I didn't give it a shot, being a wrestler, because it's something I'd always wanted to do. Um, 
So one day, me and my friends were going bowling because that's what all young sober people do. No, I'm joking, but <laughs> that's what we were going to do. And on Staten Island, there's two bowling alleys. There was one that was closer to where we were, and then there's the other one, which is in like the neighborhood that I grew up in. So for no other reason, I just wanted to go there. I was the only one that wanted to go there. So we play like, I forgot, I think it was rock, paper, scissors or something like that. We flipped the coin, one of those. But I ended up winning. So we go all the way to my old neighborhood, bowling alley. There's a guy doing security. I went to like school with his sister. So I knew he wrestled. Just got to talking to him. And at some point, I'm just like, hey, man, if I wanted to do this, how would I go about doing it? And he actually looked at me. He's like, you serious? And I was like, I've never been more serious in my life. He's like, all right. So he hooked me up with uh, Joel Maximo's contact information. For those that don't know who Joel Maximo is, he was a member of the SAT uh, with, you know, Jose Maximo, Will Maximo, Amazing Red. They were, uh, they were in the early days of Ring of Honor, TNA, like, you know, Red's still doing well. And um, so I knew who he was. So I was like, all right, that's cool. at least I know who this person is. And, you know, I went to Sunset Park in Brooklyn to this warehouse where his school was at. And, uh, you know, I paid my tuition, you know, the monthly, monthly tuition. And I just started training there, man. And I got a, and I got good quick. And I don't mean that as like a braggadocious thing, but I was told that I was a lot further ahead than I probably should have been. And that's a lot because I was going there every day. Like, you know, I was just in the ring. They would open at 12, 1 o'clock. I'd be there at 12, 1 o'clock. I'd stay till they closed. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I had actually just lost my job about a month into training. And I was collecting unemployment. So while I'm collecting unemployment, I'm just going to wrestling school every day. And, um, you know, that was, you know, they, it's a lucha school too. So it's like, you know, you know, learning all the lucha stuff. And, you know, but you're also learning how to take bumps and hit the ropes and, you know, the basic stuff. So, you know, I, uh, I am so grateful that uh, that's where I ended up. Because, uh, you know, it was just one of those, like, almost like the Land of the Misfit toys were there. You know what I mean? Like, just, you know, a bunch of guys that, like... You know, I don't even know how to explain it. It was just a really good uh, experience, and I'm really happy that that's where I ended up, under the tutelage of, uh, you know, Joel Maximo and a, a gentleman by the name of Superstar Whiplash. From uh, he's the one that really spent the most time with me because when I got there, Joel was hurt, so uh, Whiplash was in the ring with me every day, and I know I credit him with me being able to do half the things that I, I, I do. I could do a Hurricane Ron, I don't, but I could do one all because he just told me to try it one day, just because he's like, just just try it. You know, me, 6'2". You know, I didn't think I'd ever do anything like that. But because he just told me, hey, just try it out. He didn't, you know, for a 6'2 person. It's not that bad either. No, not 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 at all. Now, you, you talked about, uh, of course, uh, getting your training, going there every day, open the clothes, first guy in, last guy out. Now, tell me about that first bump. How did it feel? Um, I kind of expected it to hurt. And, it, you know, it didn't feel great. You know what I mean? But... But I think because I expected it to, to feel a certain type of way, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. But it, like, you know, but my, all right, so I went there. It was, like, a Saturday morning, the day after a show. Nobody wanted to do anything. It's the day after a show. But I'm in there. But they're showing me, like, the baby, like, showing me how to take a bump. And uh, so I was there a couple hours. I leave there. And what I would do to get back to Staten Island is I would take the train to the bus. The bus would take me back to the island. I got on the train. got off the train. I'm waiting for the bus. And I can't, like... I can't turn my head. I have to turn my entire body because I'm so stiff oh. from, you know, taking bumps and, you know, hitting the buckles. I, didn't, I don't think I hit the ropes that day, but, but it was mainly buckles and bumps I remember that they had me doing. And it was like, and I loved it, though. Like, I, I couldn't wait to get back, you know. And I remember going there. I was so nervous, so nervous. It's a new, it's a new thing. It's a whole new, 
it's a whole new, uh, you know, it's new. Like, who, who doesn't fear the new? And I remember, like, you know, because it's also like I want to be well, good in here. I don't want to suck. It's what I wanted to do my whole life. I just don't want to suck at it. So, um, you know, I was nervous, but it, it was a really fun first day for me, you know. It was painful, though. I'll tell you that. Like, I, I couldn't, like, the rest of that day into the next day, I couldn't even, I could barely move. But I couldn't wait to get back, so... There's that. It tells you something about wrestlers, I guess. <laughs> now, uh, of course, you go through your training. Uh, who, who was your first official match with? And then we're going to talk about. Well, let, let's go ahead. Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about that. Uh, who was your first official match with? And uh, how did you end up becoming a tag team? All right. So, my first official match, I forgot the guy's name, but it was really just a spear. That was my finishing move, and it was a spear, and, you know, that was it. I won. But, like, the first match I could think of that like, was actually, like, a 20-minute, like, real match that wasn't, like, something that, you know, I had to practice for fucking three weeks in a rant. You know what I mean? Like, and I say this is my first real match. It was a six-man. It was, like, just joined the part of a stable. And we went up against three former world champions of that company. And uh, it went really well. Mind you, the three of us on my team are green as as anything. I've I haven't had, like, a real match yet i had like a couple minute squash matches another guy on the team same thing never had a real match just a couple minute squash matches if that looking like you know we would be terrible and the other guy the quote-unquote leader he'd only been doing it a few months longer than us so none of us were very good (laughs) and that match ended up being really good you know and that's something i'm really proud of and it was a november of 2014 i believe or yeah 2014 and um I'll never forget. That was a good experience. But yeah, that was a. It was me, Ian Oldwin, and Leon Mason versus Mike Verna, Talon, and Joe Attell. That was a. We were known as the end over there. That was before the MLW, the end people. That we were the end first. <laughs> now nah, they could have it though. They're they're a lot more established than us. You're not gonna fight for the trademark like Ric Flair, right? No. Oh no, definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> nah, that there there. It's. I think there's like an unwritten rule in wrestling where if somebody takes it, even you know. Even if it's you had it first, if they're more established, it's kind of theirs now because they're the ones with the most eyes on them. So, but yeah, no, that was a uh, that was like my first like introduction to the real part of wrestling, not the hey, just go do this real quick, two minutes in. Like that was a real thing, and that was really cool. And how I became in a tag team with Alex uh, or AJ. Uh, neither one of us was doing a lot singly. You know what I mean? Like we were just kind of like. You know, here and there, we, and we always traveled together with uh, a tag team known as the Elements. We were always together. We were like a, a crew that just traveled together. And I, one day, me and Alex are talking, and I'm just like, "You want to just be a team? We have good chemistry as opponents. We get along in real life. Who knows? Maybe it, it'll be nice to like when we go new places. At least we'll be together. You're not going somewhere completely alone, right? So, um, and we just started teaming, and you know, here we are. And I think it was like, I don't know if it's three years later, two years later, whatever it is, and. You know, I think we've done okay for ourselves, at least in a ring, uh, uh, Real Shoot Wrestling. You know, uh, Real Shoot Wrestling gave us an opportunity to actually, you know, be a, a team and, like, consistent and, like, put us in position to succeed. And uh, I'll always be grateful to Real Shoot Wrestling for that. You know, they they seen something in us as a team. And, uh, like I said, they put us in a position to succeed or fail. And I think we did pretty well. So, you know, uh, you know, me and Alex, it's been, a, it's been a fun time. You know, I, I love teaming with Alex. You know, unfortunately, nowadays it's going to, be winding down a little bit he's got other priorities in his life that are a little more important you know know, trying to get that uh, six-figure job but um you know good for him and you know now 
maybe now to you know my singles could like you know I could explore that a little more now. But. I mean, definitely. I mean, it's it's all about change. I mean, people definitely fear the unknown, but you won't know and you won't overconquer that fear if you don't look at it head on in the mirror, or should I say, head first. But uh, so we're talking about, of course, your, your tag team run. I mean, uh, two is it two or three three time R- three time RSW champions. I, re- I remember seeing you guys uh, win win the titles uh, the second time. I seen you lose the titles at Battle of Cleveland to the Pitbulls, yes. and then you guys regained them literally right back at at the next event. Yeah, like a week later or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, man. So uh, three three time tag team champion. Now, what when you guys did establish this tag team, uh, who would you say you kind of modeled your style after as a tag team? Um, I mean, we we took a little bit of everything. Um, I think a lot of it, if you, Edge and Christian was a big like, um, I guess you could say influence on our tag career because. You know, uh, if you look at their trajectory in the WWF, is like they started out very dark and brooding. They were literally part of a group called the Brood, <laughs> you know, and then they kind of turned themselves into like goofy characters. And I've I've noticed a lot of me and AJ doing that, sub almost subconscious, because that's who we really are. We're just like two happy-go-lucky, you know, like to have fun kind of people. And our characters kind of just naturally took that transition from like that dark and brooding, you know, devilish persona and. You know, next thing you know, we're, you know, dancing in the ring because we're just having a good time. And it's like, so I remember thinking one day, I was like, well, that's like a, if there, if there was a comparison for us, like in terms of, not saying in terms of in-ring ability, those guys are legends, but in terms of like how we presented ourselves, how we thought it was kind of like Edge and Christian-ish to an extent. So they were, I've always been a big fan of the Hardy Boys. I mean, I'm not doing the, you know, the Swanton Bomb or anything <laughs> like that, but, um, but, you know, and, and the Hart Foundation, I love, you know, Bret Hart's my favorite wrestler of all time. So that's another guy that I tried to to model you know our you know and just like tag team wrestling in general is so like it's such like almost like a lost art form i feel like sometimes where it's like i love tag team wrestling in general and i like watching like you know the brain buses versus the rockers you know or the rockers versus orient express you know tag team wrestling and you know so i try to take a little bit of everything and see where you know where we can incorporate something like you know maybe like a a little you know something like a spot here or there that we could i seen in a match from like 89 like, oh, how can we use that? You know what I mean. So, I'm, I mean, yeah, tag tag team wrestling uh, in certain companies has has not been a main focus. I definitely miss the days of you know just great tag team uh, tag team uh, matches. Like just looking even back uh, d- during the Monday Night Wars, where where you had other uh, tag teams on both brands, uh, WCW and WWF at the time, and it, I mean, the tag team division got bad inside of WWF, that you had WWF losing stars like the Steiner Brothers, uh, LOD, going back to WCW as the Road Warriors, I mean, and if you just look at the tag team landscape, especially in the 90s, uh, you had, uh, of course, you had the Dudley Boys, uh, you also had Harlem Heat. Harlem uh, Heat, that's ma- a great team. The great team. Uh, also, an- another great team that doesn't get, I think, the proper just do uh, as a team. I would have to go with the team of, of course, uh, the Rockers. I think they were ahead of their time, and that's probably why they don't get the love they should get, like, because, you know, the, you know, I figured they were, what, 87, they came, 86, whatever it was, and, like, you know, they're doing stuff that guys do now. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's like they were ahead of their time, 
And that might be one of the reasons why they're not looked at as like, and they are too, to an extent, but like they never got like the WWF tag title run, for instance. And I think part of it is just like they were just very ahead of their time. You know what I mean? And if you look back at what they were doing, they weren't doing, compared to today, they were not doing a lot at all. No. They were just, you know, doing cross bodies off the top and being quick and, you know, quick tags, quick tags and fast and fast. You know, and if you look comparatively to today's guys, like, you know, that's nothing. No, no. But. At that time, nobody was doing that. And it made for some really good matchups with, like, the Brain Busters. Like I said, the Orient Express, the Heart Foundation. They had some good matches with these guys because, you know, I don't know. Me being a bigger guy in wrestling, I always enjoy working with smaller people. I mean, it, it looks it looks very, very good uh, in the ring. It's definitely believable. And uh, it definitely just the storytelling is, is great as a whole. But if you look at the tag team division now with other companies uh, like like MLW, like, uh, of course, uh, looked at AEW's past event with All Out. And I, like I said on the last show, I put the tweet out there and I'm going to stand by it until WWE shows me something different with their tag team division. I said in that tweet and I I quote, unless WWE signs Jesus, Jesus Christ and God himself as a tag team, I honestly don't see them uh, blowing the tag team division out the water. Now, there are great tag teams in the company. Don't get me wrong. I'm just talking about them pushing them and utilizing them the right way. It's not that who they have signed is not a good tag team. It's just the way that they're, they're using yeah, them. Yeah, tag team in WWE, and I think sometimes in wrestling in general at times, kind of gets like the, the back burner. And and I, from what you hear, like from different various podcast people and stuff like that, is a lot of it's a business decision. Yeah. As far as like, hey, I'd rather pay, you know, like you know, if you're gonna pay that much money, you know, it might as well, you know, and you're not gonna push a tag team to be the main event and all this yada yada yada. But I don't believe that. Ta- I believe tag team wrestling can be a main event. You look at uh, was it LAX and Lucha Brothers from what was it Slammiversary? Oh my gosh! They main evented that show, and that's one of TNA or Impact Wrestling's bigger shows of the year. And they closed that show. I think tag team wrestling can absolutely be a main event attraction if, if it's done right. You got to look at, you know, you look at, you talk about AEW and, you know, the Young Bucks, not only are they a tag team, they're one of the most over people in wrestling in general. So they could absolutely close a main event. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And, you know, Lucha Brothers are awesome. They could, LAX, you know, you got these teams. I do think that AEW's tag division is going to be more, uh, especially with the Young Bucks being as involved with the company as they are. You got to figure it's going to be like more pushed than uh, the WWE's, and you know it's unfortunate though because uh, you know the WWE has a lot of good teams like the Revival. You know, I even like the pairing of Bobby Roode and uh, Ziggler. I like that pairing. You got War, you got a lot of good teams over there that are just kind of there right now, and it's unfortunate. And I wish the, you know, I hope that you know they they put a little more focus on that because that could be your show stealing matches every single show. I mean, yeah, when, uh, Paul Heyman's controlling Raw, Bischoff's controlling SmackDown. Maybe they, they do something because I, I remember doing the first brand split. Like, I, I legitimately like the tag team division. You, you, you had, you had guys like, uh, the world's greatest tag team. You had, uh, you had Eddie guys. Chavo. Yeah, Ed, Eddie and Chavo. Angle. Man, you, you had, had uh, teams. Yeah, yeah, you had a good, it was a good little edge in Rey Mysterio with teaming for a little while there. Yeah. That was a fun little time. That was a fun time. And, the, and you know what the thing that was cool about that? They focused them on, they focused on them as teams. Even though, all six of those guys individually were like individuals yeah. and had individual careers prior to, you know, Eddie and Chavo obviously cut you know, family, but they were singles guys that just got thrown together, but they were focused on them as teams, you know what I mean, for that period of time. And, like, dude, that was some good, that was some good stuff back then. 
Oh, man, I, I, I definitely enjoyed it 1,000%. Now, of course, uh, just just uh, moving along and moving forward uh, to the show, a little bit off basis, always ask these questions towards the end, end of the interview. Uh, but I'm going to start off with this question first where we get to those last couple. Uh, if you can have a dream match as a single star with any opponent retired or currently wrestling, who would it be? Bret Hart. Not even uh, Bret Hart, excellence of execution. You know, uh, the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And I truly believe that he is. You know, and I, I would love... I don't know, man. Just something about it. Like, he was so good. Just, like, you watch his, like, everything he did. Everything was done for a reason. It's very meticulous. You know what I mean? And, and it's, like, one of those experiences that, like, I don't think, even if you didn't try, you're going to learn so much from it. So that would be my number one answer is Bret Hart. I mean, most definitely. The, the only person that, to me, compares to Bret Hart right now is Teddy. Yeah, you know, I mean, they are related, so. Well, you know, maybe maybe it's in it's in the gene pool. Who knows? It could be that that family pumped out some great talent. So yes, yes, so, they did. So you know, you get you got the other. You got you know you know David Hart Smith. You got you got a lot of people that came from that Natty Tyson Kidd, who's no longer wrestling, unfortunately, but he was really good. I think Natty's the most underrated woman on the roster there, hands down. She is so good, and that's probably why they put her with so many people that are like coming up, like a Lacey Evans and stuff like that. Because she's gonna get the most out of them, at least for the point that they're at. Oh yeah, I mean Natty. Natty's definitely responsible for making Charlotte Charlotte Flair the star that she is. I think she had a big part in uh, Ronda Rousey's training. That too. Ronda and Ronda, Ronda Rousey was. I don't care what anybody says. She was awesome. Yeah, she for that for having no experience and then coming in and for one year. And I don't care what anybody she says. She did very she good. Was really good. To, to all the smart marks out there, I mean, listen, you all were being way too hard on Ronda. I've seen worse women's wrestling by stars who have been in the business yeah. longer. And I I'm, think she got treated unfairly because she's coming from a different sport and she's not a, you know, she's not the traditional like came up through the indies wrestlers, which is what a lot of fans gravitate to. And I understand that because these guys and women paid their dues prior and, you know, coming in and, you know, they get that that label but like for somebody that had zero experience in this to come out and you know can succeed and, and bring it like listen the, i mean and i love charlotte i love becky but there would have been no women's main event at wrestlemania if it wasn't for ronda rousey being there that's just facts, facts. that's all facts you know she was a big box office draw and she brought a lot more eyes to the division than probably was there prior so you know uh uh you know, ronda rousey she's you know, but Natty had a going back to that. She had a big part in that. She was probably I'm pretty sure she had a, spent a lot of time with her. So, you know, the Hart family there they are, Prince all over wrestling. Oh yeah, all all, all through wrestling period. Uh, so now to the random shit. <laughs> now, when you're in the gym working out, who's on your playlist? Uh, it could be Metallica at times. Sometimes Slaughterhouse. Uh, very random, you know. Um. There's certainly 50 Cent is a good one to listen to to get me into his own, um, especially when he's just, you know, being 50 Cent. Um, <laughs> you know, there's certain things, but uh, a lot of, like, you know, like I said, you know, for some reason I gravitate towards Slaughterhouse. I don't know why. I love Slaughterhouse, but I don't know why they're, like, I listen to them while I'm in the gym. But, uh, you know, like I said, 50, uh, 
Game. Game is a good one to listen Game to. Game is very good. Especially when you're trying to work out. You know, anything that's going to be like aggressive. Anything that has like an aggressive tone to it, I'll listen to while I'm in the, you know, trying to get into that mode. Okay. So. okay. Next question on the music tip. Favorite rapper from New York? Jay-Z. I mean, you, you have to go with one of the goats, Jay-Z, of all time. Uh, shout out to Jigga. Uh, but you know what? Being from Staten Island, uh-huh. you know, uh, I am. I do like Wu-Tang a lot. It's almost like a birthright. You have to like them if you're from Staten Island. But, um, <laughs> but, I, but I also think they're very good, and I thoroughly enjoy their music, so there's that, too. But if I had to choose one, it would probably be Jay-Z. But then speaking of Wu Tang, they just got a street name after him not too long ago. Yes, they did. I I, I, uh, I was not there for that unveiling, but I did see that, and uh, it looked wild. A lot of people there. I know exactly where it is. I pass it all the time. <laughs> uh, it's uh, that's really cool though. I mean, they're the biggest stars probably to ever come out of Staten Island. So, I mean, for them to not would almost be like sacrilegious. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. All right, next question. Off of music, we're going into the the film circuit. Favorite genre of movies? I like probably like action, adventure, or comedy. I, I probably favor comedy more, but like I like a good like action adventure movie or, you know, sometimes I probably favor comedy more than anything. If I had to choose like one, what am I going to watch? Probably going to be a comedy movie. All right. Favorite action movie? Favorite action movie. Shit. Put me on the spot. I can't think. Uh,. Uh, what was that movie? Uh, what was that movie with uh, Jamie Foxx and and Gerard Butler? Law uh, Abiding Citizen. Y- yes, love that, that one. I mean, I don't know if that's my favorite, but that's the one that came to my mind right now. No, that's that's actually a good one. It's a really good movie. I, I love that it, like, one. A couple weeks ago too, so probably why it's in my mind. All right, and favorite comedy? Probably Talladega Nights. Shake and bake, yeah. shake and bake, Ricky Bobby. Bake, Ricky Bobby. Don't you put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. Ah, <laughs> uh, so good. That movie, I like that movie because it was so random. Like there was nothing about it that makes sense other than the fact that there's NASCAR backdrop, but nothing about, like everything that it even said is just ridiculous. And that's Will Ferrell's calling card. <laughs> Man, Will, Will Ferrell is one of my favorites. And right now, we're, we're going to say a prayer to Sweet Baby Jesus. <laughs> that was so oh man that movie's hilarious oh man I, I want to I know I want to watch that again that was a good movie all right and lastly on the question uh for the questions for the day tell us about one of the craziest experiences that you've had at a wrestling show far as you being a wrestler uh, did you get a lot of heat from the fans did a fan want to come up and actually uh, wrestle you or fight you? I haven't had that yet. Um, this one's actually kind of a funny story. And it, um, so a few years ago, me and uh, Ian Aldwin are uh, going up to Poughkeepsie, New York to wrestle for like uh, this lucha company, I guess. And so our trainer, got Joel, got us this booking. And we're going with a couple other teams, you know, a bunch of us going up there. So we get up there. It's going to be like, I don't even remember what the match. It was supposed to be me, Ian, and somebody against three other people. And one of them didn't show up, so we had to get somebody else that was on the card in a mask, you know, put a mask on him, and he goes out there. So we're going on, like, first. So right before we go out, first of all, the, the show was supposed to start at, like, 2. I think it's, like, 5 o'clock. The show still hasn't started because <laughs> the ring wasn't set up because it was all – they had – it was just a mess. So we're like, oh, we're about to get this thing going finally. And we get out there. We're right before we're about to go out. They're like, oh, don't hit the ropes. And we're like, Why? Like the ropes are like not, they're not good. So we're like, all right, can we at least like 
you know, run off them a little bit. And they're like, oh, yeah, you could probably do that. We get out there. The whole top rope was, like, hanging down. It was nothing. Like, the ropes were not up. <laughs> so we get out there, and we're just, like, trying to work a match, the six-man tag, with no ropes, nothing. I remember, like, my, one of the elements, like, whipped me off. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, and I, I ran to the rope, too, and I just stopped. And I'm like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever experienced <laughs> in my life. Came back. You know what I mean? It was just, and it was one of those moments, though, like, where it's like, at that point, I just started laughing. I tried to have fun at that point because it was just like, this is terrible. And, uh, and I, I, we were just being ridiculous at that point, just messing around, trying to have a good time and try to make the best of a, a really odd situation. But uh, that was one of the more interesting moments of, like, being, you know, a wrestler, I guess, you know, on the indie scene and, you know, not... You know, just promoters that they, you know, have your ring on time and make sure it's all right. Especially if you want to have a show. I don't think they ever ran a show again. <laughs> God damn, now that is an experience. And lastly, um, is there something you want to leave our listeners listeners with? Probably like a good good bit of advice just in life in general. Um, if you experience anything, if you're going through something, don't stay quiet. Um, far too many people do stay quiet and, uh, you know, and that leads to, you know, it could lead you down a, a really dark path, whether you stay in it or you end up, you know, doing something really, you know, not good. And like, you know, uh, there are, you know, just be open and honest and, and let people know that, you know, maybe you're experiencing some difficulties in your life because everybody goes through it. You know, um, it's, oh, it's a completely relatable experience, you know, but in the moment I understand too that, you know, nobody understands me. Nobody's going to understand this. Nobody wants to hear this. Nobody wants to hear me complain. And, you know, I guarantee you a lot of people, especially if they're a good person, would rather hear you complain and vent than, you know, go to your funeral. So, um, you know, if you're experiencing anything like that, just just be open and talk about it. And, you know, especially if, you know, and if you're a drug addict or you're struggling with drugs or alcohol, like there is help and a lot of it. And you will find people like-minded that are willing to spend a lot of time with complete strangers just to make sure that they don't ever drink or do drugs again. So, you know, if you have an issue, whether it be a mental or physicalism, just reach out and don't be afraid to. Don't don't feel silly. Don't feel stupid. It's, you know, it's better off that you uh, you let people know what's going on rather than, you know, having to have them find out after the fact because, you know, you committed the ultimate sacrifice and killing yourself. So, you know, um, you know, just, you know, stay positive and, you know, reach out to people and, you know, just try to be a better person. You know, I've experienced, uh, I get the most joy out of helping people in any way I can. That's how I maintain sobriety. That's how I try to be a better person is like, if I could do something for somebody, I will. And I don't expect anything in return. So, you know, just be a better person. And if you're struggling with something, let people know. There you have it, everybody. Listen, pay it forward. And always remember Someone's always willing to give you a hand. The only thing you have to do is reach up. I'm Mr. Six Foot Nine. We just ended this interview, awesome interview with Cyrus DeVille. Make sure you guys check out the next episode of Marshall Mike's. And uh, we will see you around. But before we get out of here, give everyone your social media handles where they can find you. Uh, on Instagram, I'm Cyrus underscore DeVille. And on Twitter, at uh, Cyrus DeVille 89. And that's my Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. I'm Cyrus DeVille. So I'm all over the, uh, the social media. I can't promise I'm going to be very active, but I am in the, the, the sphere of social media. There you all have it. And we will see you guys next episode. And we are out. Boom.